Hello everyone, this is the eighth episode of the Hubscale podcast. Today we have yet another amazing guest, Arez Yarconi, a former CIO of T-Mobile, Telstra and a previous CEO and now is the EVP of go-to-market at Karat, a unicorn company. Arez, it's great to have you on. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, it's great to be on. Looking forward to, to some uh, great conversation. Yeah, for sure. No, it's um, it's an amazing to have you on, and I know you and I have known each other for for some time. But uh, I guess it'd just be great for everybody who's listening. A uh, quick introduction to yourself. Absolutely. So, um, first of all, nationality original. I was born in Israel. Uh, my dad was a merchant marine, so I moved around the world. So I don't know that I can call any one place home specifically, except for the United States has been home for uh, over twenty years now. Um, so I guess that will be officially uh, now an American citizen. Um, but there's still a lot of Israeli in me and every now and then Australian in me because I spent a lot of time in Australia as well. Um, as you said, I kind of ended up uh, in operations uh, the first half of my career in uh, operations delivery software development that was as a CIO. I grew up from being a software developer. Um, and a lot of the those journeys in life are about... Uh, opportunities given to you uh, and opportunities, uh, you know, uh, taken as, as they're presented uh, and how you end up there. And uh, we, can, we can chat about that later. But I did at some point uh, have a conscious decision not to be a CIO anymore uh, and go into uh, go to market. And uh, I was given a few opportunities to do that as well. And uh, it was one of the toughest, most humbling transitions I've ever gone through, but a very interesting one. And happy to do, uh, share that yeah for sure no that's uh, that's awesome i'm excited to go into a lot of the detail today <laughs> but uh if you could uh if you could give a quick introduction to karat as well that'd be amazing yeah so carrot is a uh, company that basically does technical assessments for software engineers uh on behalf of companies that are looking to hire software engineers and uh carrot is a uh, technical assessment cloud um, it's combined from workflow software uh, that allows you to conduct the uh, interview in a very professional way that also uh, gives you all the abilities to record it and waypoint it and find the right places in it and, and capture and deliver the results. Um, it has uh, world-class content as to what is being uh, uh, assessed. Um, we have uh, IO psychologists and content developers that develop specific content. And, and what's unique about the content is it's also uh, targeted at uh, removing any biases from interviews, any tech biases, any pedigree biases, any other type of biases, uh, cultural and so on. Um, and then we have our uh, human cloud of engineers that uh, conduct the interviews. Uh, and those are, first of all, world-class engineers that uh, do the interviews on our behalf. They're trained on the content and they're also trained on executing and being interviewers and removing biases or any type of uh, friction or tension out of the interview process because it's always stressful to interview. Yeah, no, I know. I know too much being a, being a recruiter myself, but uh, maybe one day you'll be putting us out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. We don't recruit. We just assess. For sure. No, it's, a, it's an amazing company and you guys have reached unicorn status, haven't you? Yeah, we have we have uh, about a year and a half ago or so. Uh, we uh, were funded at a valuation of uh, a little over a billion dollars, which put us in that status. I don't think you know it's uh, 
unicorn is great and somebody put together a, <laughs> a classification saying a billion dollars is unicorn but you know you're only a unicorn if uh, you really uh, grow into those pants so and we're we're doing our best to do that even in this uh, tough environment where tech is not hiring as much yeah no for sure and um, that's one of the topics we're, we're going to dive into today as well about pivoting but um, I guess just kind of taking it back then so your journey is really really interesting as we were chatting numerous times and, and before the podcast started and um, CIO to CEO to EVP of go-to-market sales um, it'd just be great to chat a little bit about that journey yeah I actually think that um, once I left uh, the CIO environment and and the kind of IT and software development operation environment. Um, the second part of being CEO, VP of uh, Cloud for Checkpoint and EVP for Carrot and, and all those things, they kind of fall in the same place. It's kind of the same job. They were all go to market. The title just changed because of size and scope of uh, organization I worked with. Uh, so I would consider these two halves. One, um, I started my career as a software developer, came out of uh, actually um, math and computer science at school, but a software developer. And I was presented a few opportunities that uh, then led me into becoming that. So, you know, it's a little bit the journey taken is about the road you're on and how you um, how you travel it. So I went from being a software developer in Israel to getting the opportunity to travel with the software to the United States. Uh, in order to support implementations and uh, on-prem support and that. We're talking about, you know, the early 90s. So a lot of stuff was still required you to be there to support it. Um, and then I was introduced into enterprise IT environments in large telecommunication companies. And originally SBC, that became AT&T, right? Singular and AT&T and so on. But that introduction into that environment um, what it taught me is that there was a big gap in those environments uh, between traditional IT, which was more around being able to manage packet software or manage, manage vendors, manage suppliers and those kind of things, to where the world was transforming, where IT departments uh, really needed real software people that know how to build things and deploy things and run them and build 5.9 environments and so on. And I think that was my first opportunity because... I kind of figured it out and I had the skills and I kind of put it to play in there and that allowed me to differentiate. Um, I was lucky. Uh, there were a lot of good people in my way. They gave me great opportunities uh, in great companies uh, like at the time Amdocs uh, that offered me the, the ability to be in the United States and then um, shine in those opportunities with their customers. And then uh, a few people at, uh, uh, at Singular Wireless uh, like Thaddeus Arroyo is the CEO of of AT&T uh, Consumer Today, um, and then even at T-Mobile, like Rob Strickland and, and Cole Broadman, they all gave me the opportunities to, uh, I guess, to execute or to uh, lean on my skills because um, there was a, an opening there, but they saw the possibility. And that's how I ended up initially being the CIO of T-Mobile uh, and then later also being the CIO of Telstra. I, always had an affinity though to the business side so i did in the middle get an mba uh, because i really wanted uh, to understand the business better uh, understand marketing understand uh, revenues understand go to market uh, and those kind of things uh, with mdocs i had multiple opportunities to be kind of a delivery executive but that also uh, required pnl ownership so that helped me as well 
Um, but what I can say is it was a great journey uh, ending up in some of these O-level positions of big enterprise companies like T-Mobile and, and Telstra. And you sit around the table with all the other big guys and girls and uh, you think you know what they're doing and you think you can do the same thing. Uh, but there was a lot of learning when I decided I want to go do something else other than being a CIO. <laughs> no, I can um, I can imagine, and that moves on to the next point, uh, next question. Sorry, pretty pretty nicely. So, how can you transition from a CIO uh, to the go to market world? Um, I I don't know that there's a recipe. I don't know that everybody would would take the same the same path. I think. So therefore, I, I wouldn't say that I know how you transition, but what I can share with you is what you should be willing to do when you transition. Um, I think the first thing you got to understand is that observing go-to-market as a CIO or as an operation executive and so on um, is a great learning ground, but it doesn't really give you the, the, you know, the background, the run rate of of executing a go-to-market. And there's a lot to learn in that environment. There's a lot of skills in this soft skill art of being a go-to-market executive. And uh, there's some hard skills and metrics in it as well, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of skills to be learned um, that are not trivial. And so first thing you gotta be willing is to listen and learn. Um, the second thing is, you know, as an executive, if you've grown up to be any type of executive in a company, you've learned how to build teams and to lean on people that know more than you do, especially in certain things. You can only know that much about everything you do and then you got to bring people that know more. I think I'm stating the obvious when I say that. Uh, it becomes even more important when you do a pivot into another role. Um, the third thing is, for me specifically, um, you know, I went from being a CIO at Telstra um, which, by the way, I never felt like I finished the job there. Uh, I was just doing it in remote, and I felt it was unfair to the team and the company, and that's why I stepped away. Uh, it was a little hard. Um, but I went from CIO Telstra to Aptio, uh, where Sunny, the CEO, gave me an opportunity to run the uh, to be uh, run the customer operations, the renewals, uh, the customer success, and so on. Um, and you go from being a O level at a very large company and a little bit of a figurehead. Um, to being an executive at a smaller company that requires your elbows to be deep in the operations. And you got to be willing to go back into doing things yourself, building things yourself, and you got to enjoy it. Uh, you got to be putting the hard work. And, you know, and when you build things, there's a lot of failures in the middle as well. So you got to be able to deal with those. Yeah. Uh, and these are some of the things you want to you wanna have when you pivot. Yeah, no, for sure. I think it's interesting as well because um, you see just on that point there where you mentioned from a large, large company to a smaller organization, you see um, individuals moving from the likes of Cisco or IBM into small organizations where they have to really, really dig down and and kind of um, get away all the all the feelings what they've had at the, the larger companies as well. So now I, I can imagine that was a, a transition that you had to really put your mind to. I think the transition, first of all, on, on a personal and human perspective. Uh, is even hard on your ego initially. So you got to take that and put that to the side and say that doesn't play yeah. 
anything in it anymore, right? Uh, because it was a conscious choice. It's something I made, so I can't bring that back into the, the equation. Uh, the second was around uh, what are, you know, things that you expected are getting executed by the organization, by a team or not. You have to find a way uh, to use the resources available to a small company and mobilize those. Um, so it's it's a different type of execution and operation uh, where in some company, in bigger companies, in some cases, almost feels like endless resources. Almost. It's never endless and it's not really true, but almost. But in these, it almost feels like continuous constraint resources. And you have to basically work on under continuous constraints and execute through those. Um, and that's the that's the magic of building and something from small to big, as opposed to stepping into a big thing that's kind of running in his momentum. Yeah, no, for sure. No, I can um, I can fully imagine, and the excitement as well. I I can imagine it's a lot uh, a lot more thrilling once you can build something from from small to big. Um, but yeah, no, really great stuff. And and one of the main topics I wanna I wanted to discuss with you today, Erez, um, is about pivoting, especially at times of need, especially in a world. Uh, where we're living in today and um, so i guess it'd just be great to understand how can you pivot in a, in a time like now or, or in, in case of somewhat of a uh, anything external that come in in terms of the market yeah i think the first thing you want to do is probably set a mindset that you are not a victim and just because the market did something uh it doesn't mean you get to be victimized and claim defeat uh so the first thing is get that in your mind and figure out that you continue to plow forward. And therefore, there is no choice. Now becomes the, the, the point is necessity is the mother of all invention. So now find a way to reposition, reinvest, uh, reimagine, reinvent yourself into where the market is still uh, generating or, or presenting opportunities. Uh, specifically for us at Carrot, it was a lot about... Um, Pivoting from where hyper growth companies that were funded by some of the growth capital out there really going from, you know, once they get their their big rounds, the D, the E, the F rounds, uh, they're going from X engineers to 2X to 3X to 4X. There may be pre-IPO and and so on. So getting all those engineers assistant on board uh, was a, a real big task for them and outsourcing it to Carrot made total sense. Um it was an easier sale. We knew exactly what we're selling. We were selling that capacity of the assessment that's done at a professional way, uh, in a way that they cannot do. And and now that that doesn't exist in our environment that much anymore, there still are some, but not as much. And the investment community is really looking for companies to not just grow, but also show path to profitability and so on. So responsible growth is slower growth. Uh, we had to change both how our product fits the pain points. So it's no longer this big capacity pain point. It's more around accuracy, consistency, uh, levels, uh, leveling the bar, um, time to candidate, candidate experience, those kind of, uh, and finding and making eventually the best hiring decision. How do you make the best hiring decision when you're trying to hire just a limited number of, of engineers? That required changes in your positioning in your in your go-to-market material and your product marketing it also requires product development and content development that helps uh you have to identify new entry points uh deal discovery has to be completely different and so on so it's a big big shift 
right? But and so unless you have that that need to reinvent yourself and repivot yourself and really plow into it and say it's just gonna be hard. But it's it's that joy of hard. Actually, eventually there's highs and lows in this hard, but eventually gets you the the satisfaction of having built something. Yeah. No, for sure. It sounds um, it sounds just amazing, even the way you describe that about obviously kind of pivoting into certain ways through every kind of metric rather than rather than just thinking, right, we're the victim of this as well. So now it's um, it's an amazing situation. And I guess in terms of obviously the future for for you guys, then how how do you see the the rest of the next maybe 12 months playing out? Yeah, I, first of all, I think that we are there are two things that is going to play into our evolution and, and into our uh, growth in the next 12 months. One is at some point, uh, there's going to be a return of hiring uh, at scale in, in enterprises, uh, in tech enterprises, in different segments. Um, you know, part of what I didn't mention before is uh, when you pivot in that, you have to find the segments of business that that are, in our case, are hiring. And therefore, we had to pivot in there. It's uh, You sell them a a different value proposition. So it ties into all the other things. Uh, I didn't also didn't mention you have to change the way you contract, the way you negotiate, uh, the way you position things, the way you write master agreements and what you stand on your back feet versus what you give up in, in those negotiations in red lines with lawyers and so on. So a lot of changes. Two things will play. One, we're waiting for the growth in tech to come back. And I think it will happen. I don't know if it will happen in 12 months or 24 months. And if I did, I'd be uh, not sitting here, but betting on the on the stock market somewhere. Um, however, <laughs> however, uh, that will happen. And we have to position ourselves as the best company in that space of technical assessment to capture that. Uh, the second is we're reinventing some of our products. Uh, we're reinventing our products to help uh, all type of assessments that are not just required during hiring, but also in other events that require assessment. Lateral moves, promotions, building teams, team assessments, um, so mobility inside. We're also trying to uh, streamline candidate experience and company experience for candidates that have already been assessed. They shouldn't have to be assessed again if they're applying similar job in another company and so on. So these type of products that are more based on the data we collect as opposed to executing the actual interview um, as part of our evolution. And I think that you'll find Carrot uh, to um, come back into what I call hyper growth mode, where we are now in moderate growth mode. Um, you'll find us go back to hyper growth mode uh, as the market changes. Yeah. For sure. And obviously, uh, Carrot's obviously uh, kind of helping hire for other companies. But how about Carrot itself? Um, what, what kind of draws you to Carrot from Checkpoint a while back? So first of all, I want to say uh, Checkpoint is an amazing company. Uh, the leadership there uh, is amazing. And it was another one of these opportunities in life where somebody gave me an amazing opportunity. So I want to say thank you to uh, to Gil and to uh, the team there and to Dan who hired me because I've learned a ton at Checkpoint. I just learned a ton. Um, I really moved because I thought Carrot had a mission that was very interesting. Um, I was fortunate to be in a place in life where um, I didn't really have to just lean on work for income and living and so on. 
so I could make a little bit of that kind of change into a smaller company, uh, much smaller than Checkpoint at the time, and take a lot of risk at doing that, uh, you know, financial risk. But Carrot has a mission of making this entire thing we call an interview and an getting hired a better, enjoyable, and fair um, activity or, or experience. And I thought the fair is important. And it's a little bit more important to the ecosystem than even just to the individual. I think that fair is important to the individual. And there's a lot of you know unfairness that isn't even known that to be unfair uh, when you go through interviews and so on, because there is tech bias and there is pedigree bias and there is, and, and you may not even know you're, ex you're, you're experiencing it or sorry, uh, you're, um, you're applying that bias, <laughs> but there is, uh, it's more important because we are struggling as a, as an economy, as a society to fill all the software engineer jobs that are open and, and are out there, especially in growth times. And unless we understand how to find more people that are qualified by removing those biases and making everything more fair, we won't grow that pool fast enough. So even for us as executives trying to build technologies, trying to build companies, right? You want to be able to grow that pool. And I think that's part of the carrot mission. So that mission really applied to me. The other thing was just working with great people, waking up in the morning and working with great people, the two founders of carrot, and then the management team they put together is amazing. You wake up in the morning, you want to talk to them, you want to collaborate with them, uh, you enjoy it. So that was the second part. Yeah, no, amazing. It sounds um sounds like an amazing journey. And um, like I said, I'm gonna get I'm gonna stay very close to you guys and and watch this over the next uh next few years as well. So no, I'm I'm excited by it. So now just um talking a little bit more. Obviously, we talked about pivoting into into this market trends and and working around these types of stuff. But how can you kind of meet the expectations, especially as a private company of the VC or PE firm that kind of represents you? Um, there's two things that that has to happen in those things expectations has to be have to be reset uh and i think most vcs and ps that i've ever worked with totally understand what market conditions can do uh to a company our size or even bigger uh when the market is is problematic so there is tolerance and understanding in that even more than that there is guidance and value add i apologize about the plane going above me mm -hmm. um guidance and value add from those uh, investment communities as to how to navigate this. Um, so that's the first. However, I think what they expect from you is to be proactive, uh, to take the reins and to drive and to drive with eyes wide open, understanding two things that you have some vision and visibility to where you're driving because there's opportunity there. And you have some flexibility and ability to recognize the forks in the road you have to take in order to capitalize on opportunity. Um, those, those are the expectations that I find from them. Now, the things that, for instance, we're doing is we're trying to, you know, that shift to the enterprise, what I just described before, um, has elongated both our pipeline creation, our expansions within the pipeline, the movement of the velocity of the deals in the pipeline and therefore um, getting to our kind of desired ACV 
from a, from a customer is just a longer journey with those with those big guys. That creates kind of a gap in your in the velocity of your bookings and therefore revenues and so on. To accommodate for that, what we're finding is that we have to now double down on building our mid market um, practice. In the mid market, we find that we're we can still sell on capacity. The mid market companies have a skill gap. And therefore, the capacity gap is a little different. It's less about the volume capacity gap. It's more around the skill capacity gap. Um, we find that. So we're doubling down on mid-market to accommodate and, and hedge for a little bit of that gap left in the in the pipeline velocity and pipeline conversion by putting most of our chips into this enterprise. And those are the kind of things they expect to see. The other things they expect to see is that you really, as a management team, are spending the time understanding to the nth level of exactly what's happening in your in your environment. And so I'm going to give a shout out to a, a little technology that I implemented called Gong. I don't think they're that little anymore, but um, you know that helped me understand to the nth degree what's happening in deal discovery and what what we need to uh, pivot from there, uh, right? And how we need to rebuild our deal discovery uh, as we as my sales team is talking to customers. Uh, but those kind of things, like inspecting every loss, every deal, understanding exactly what happened, understanding trends. I, I definitely identified some what I call ghosting trends. Ghosting uh, for me is when a customer takes a prospect, takes a first call. Um, very excited about you because you're interesting, you're innovative, you're thinking of something that didn't go through any type of uh, innovation for a long time in a different way, you know, bringing it on top. Um, you're talking to engineering leads and, and recruiting leads that say, you, this sounds great. And then they walk away and you never hear from them again. And, you know, we eventually identified it as we're just not hitting a, 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 a first level problem for them, right? They, we definitely scratched their intellectual itch, but when they go home and they wake up the next day, they have other problems they got to deal with. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things you have to learn. And I think your investors expect that you spend the time going to do this. And so I would say the last thing that's related to that is these type of companies like Carrot or any type of, of uh, organization like Aptio that is in that phase of their evolution as a company. When you bring on executives, um, you have to find those executives that are willing to do that. Um, and that was part of the transition. Like it's not something totally common when you're a CIO of a company that and 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 your team is like seven thousand FTEs. But it's definitely required when you're at the company the size of an Aptio or a, or a Carrot. Yeah. And how do you? How would you kind of look for that specific trait in somebody when you was hiring them? Because that's that's quite you know. Mind sometimes, isn't it? You have to really do some digging. <laughs> you know, here's, I think there's a few things you want to learn about a person in an interview or in the discovery process of, of recruiting. Um, and one of the first things is understanding where that person thinks they are in life. Um, do they think they are already an expert and have a playbook for something? That will teach you I think that, that what that person believes they're going to do is deploy their expertise in playbook. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes it's exactly what you need. 
However, sometimes what you should be looking for is a person that says, no, I have a lot more to learn. I have a lot of intellectual curiosity and other, other types of curiosities about what I need to learn in order to improve both myself, but the environment that, I, that I'm in. So I think through the conversations and through the discovery, you want to figure out, do you think you're already there and you're just coming in to deploy what you know? Or do you think you're still in a learning curve, but you're just a fast learner, a fast implementer, you know, a very strong, um, you have you have strong abilities around finding the main things you need to do versus the things you don't need to do is prioritization and, and execution uh, and find those kind of executives to bring into uh, into the small environments. Uh, you know, however, like I said, sometimes you just want the person with the playbook, right? Maybe it's a CFO and you're pre-IPO and you need the person with the playbook, the, the girl or guy that took somebody public before and they have the playbook. You don't want to reinvent that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. There's, there's two sides to it. I um, yeah. I think that's a, even when even for myself, obviously, when I spend all my day interviewing people and, and speaking to people, and um, yeah, no, they're they're definitely interesting topics to to take into my my own career as well. So, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. So, I guess um, just kind of switching it back into back into another topic. I know you've been around the SaaS industry for a very long time and I'm sure you've seen uh, when well, you have seen the transition from obviously on-prem to, to SaaS and, and the movement that has created over the past few years so I'd just like to know um, a little bit more from your kind of perspective of where you think the SaaS market is going and, and how more can this evolve yeah I, I think there's um, well I wish I knew exactly where the SaaS market is going I think it's not going away I think that as a service in general is here to stay. So any type of uh, product you're delivering today more likely is going to be consumed as a service um, at a higher rate. I do think that there's a few things this industry has to figure out. Um, the first thing, and, and it's not different than, than previous software development and software products is you know, what are the main things the customer are using, what to invest in, and what are just the, those feature sets that don't really make, don't get a lot of traction and don't make a lot of use and are really overhead on the environment. The second part is, how do I deliver to my customers eventually just an amazing experience? And, and a lot in the SaaS environment is around, is the service always available, always capable, always scalable, always delivering, the core promise of what the customer bought it for, right? So that's the other thing you have to to, to understand. What are your customers buying this for, right? And I, I'm stating a little bit of the obvious, and, and it was true as a CIO as well, right? Whenever you implemented something, you had to think about the community that uses those implementations in the exact same terms. So that hasn't changed, but now the honest, the, you know, it's that moved from the CIO to the organizations that are delivering it as a service. And they have to take all those service levels and all that accountability to the organization that they are working with of what the CIO used to carry. Now, there's obviously CIOs today carry a lot as well. There's still a lot of things that they have to be in charge of and, uh, and deliver. And uh, those ladies and gentlemen in those jobs are have a very tough job. However, 
their partners delivering those as a service environments have just as much accountability to the organizations they're working with for the service levels and for the quality and productivity of what they're delivering and therefore the gains they're creating for their customers, right? What benefits are they generating customers? I, I don't think SaaS is going away. I just think the ones that will be able to focus on that will be more successful. For sure. No, I love it. I love it. And I've um, I've only just got one more question for you today, Arez. Um, and it's always an interesting one when I ask this question. So, and it's a little bit unique from, from coming from a CIO and technical background as well. So if you could go back to the days um, of a software developer, uh, what would you tell mm-hmm. yourself? What would I tell myself in the days of software developer? Um, well, first of all, you're not the smartest person in the world. So listen to your user base and understand <laughs> and understand why they're complaining about something because the when they're smoked as fire, that would be the first thing. Uh, learn about that. Uh, don't have the uh, sudden and night live uh, IT support mentality. <laughs> um, that's the first thing. Now, but the second thing is, I would say to every software developer uh, at the end is that we all do this because eventually it's supposed to deliver value to somebody, right? Um, so I think as much as we've focused on proper development and putting everything in a way that's scalable and reusable uh, and smart and efficient and uh, makes good use of the resources required and so on, um, then as, as much emphasis that we've, put on those elements, make an emphasis on efficiency and usability and so on to the user community. So learn how to be a product manager, not just a software developer. Learn how to think of what you're doing, anything you're doing, even if you're in IT and not in product development engineering. Think of everything you're doing as you're delivering a product for somebody. Uh, I think it will help you in in understanding the, the the user community and delivering a better product. I do, I w- I do want to say that in today's world, I would love to see software developers also think more about the efficiency of resources they're consuming because we're a little bit in a world where software development can think of resources as uh, infinitely available in the cloud, auto-scaling, um, you know, everything's there, everything is available. You can just consume more and you can grow in that. And every now and then you find that that creates a lot of problems in, you know, in environments where all of a sudden something looks like, um, you know, a DDoS attack and, it has, and, and it's actually just bad transaction management or that you're moving uh, a capability from a uh, one of these cloud environments and endless capacity to a constrained compute environment and all of a sudden you're choking the entire environment. Um, so learn learn that the world hasn't um, is not done with the need of optimizing resource consumption. Nice. No, no, they're uh, they're very interesting, and I'll uh, for sure that they'll take away, especially for some of the listeners as well, being uh, being in that that type of world. So no, appreciate appreciate that, Rez, and really appreciate you coming on. The podcast and uh you know, i wish i uh, wish you all the, the luck with uh karat as well as you move forward uh, i really appreciate too elliot i appreciate you having me on and uh 
hopefully my main message of uh, you just don't know as much as you think you do. So be open to learning more is uh was the theme of the message and i hope it came across so appreciate it no well thank you very much all right take care bye bye bye